Alrighty. So, Anchor makes this insanely easy. Uh, <laughs> thanks to Michael Moore for being an incredible rep to Anchor Podcast, getting me here. Thank you to Robert Alter, whose uh, biblical commentary uh, on especially the Book of Samuel, the Samuel Saga, whatever, uh, has informed a bunch of some of the deeper stuff that I have to share. Uh, I hope that I'm providing meaningful insights, but I am not fluent in biblical Hebrew and similar languages, and he uh, has a lot to add in that regard. So I am indebted to him and his notes, which I will be sharing some of uh, in some of what I'm reading. And hope all of you are safe and finding your own productive ways to do something positive with your quarantine. So uh, I started with chapter 15 uh, to introduce Saul and Samuel and a few other things about that chapter that I think are um, good things to show people about the nature of the world in which this story takes place. Uh, then I did chapter three, going back to introducing Samuel. And then last episode was chapter eight, which is where the idea of having the king comes up and Samuel uh, really does not want this because he thinks it's a bad idea. All the other nations have kings, but uh, Israel has judges, which you can see in the book of Judges. Uh, if you are quarantined right now in a hotel room, it should be in uh, the drawer right next to your bed. If you will open up and follow along what they call the first book of Samuel, but I really regard as act one of the saga. So there's a bunch to touch on. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Um, there's just so much to do, um, so much to touch on here, but I, hmm, I didn't really, obviously I don't have, uh, uh, exact thing that I am 
looking to do, but actually from eight, why don't we just go to chapter nine? Uh, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> a question of whether you'll join me, but uh, that's where I'm headed. I did chapter eight, which brings up the idea of a king. Let's do chapter nine and uh, introduce Saul first, the boy who would be the first king of Israel. Um, first book of Samuel, chapter nine. And there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Bechorath, son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a man of great means. And he had a son whose name was Saul, which is much easier to remember, a fine and goodly young fellow. And no man of the Israelites was goodlier than he, head and shoulders taller than all the people. And some asses belonging to Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to Saul, his son, take prey with you, one of the lads, and rise, go see uh, seek the asses. That's right. He wants his son to go out looking for the asses. So, uh, Saul passed through the high country of Ephraim, and he passed through the region, region of Shalishah, but they did not find them. And they passed through the reason, gah, region of Shalem, and there was nothing there, and they passed through the region of Benjamin, but they did not find them. And they were just coming into the reason of Zeth when an alarm on Adam's phone went off, interrupting the reading. Uh, but they were coming into Zeth when Saul said to his lad who was with him, and this is going to be the first note, um, stopping at because a side of the head and shoulders thing, which is more important than just, uh, you have to remember that this is a book, this is a thing that was written out by hand for a couple millennia before there was uh, the printing press. So every word, every phrase is very carefully laid out and plays a role, which is part of why this is such a beautiful work of literature and of art. But uh, we'll get back to Saul's head and shoulders. I'm gonna uh, just give you uh, part of Alter's note on line five uh, regarding Saul's first uh, statement, uh, which is, uh, come, let us turn back, lest my father cease worrying about the asses and worry about us. And according to the general principle of biblical narrative, that the first reported speech of a character is a defining moment of characterization. 
Saul's first utterance reveals him as a young man uncertain about pursuing his way and quite concerned about his father. This concern, especially in light of the attention devoted to tense relations between fathers and sons in the ensuing narrative, uh, and before this, between Eli and his sons and Samuel and his sons, but uh, that is touching and suggests that the young Saul is a sensitive person, an attribute that will be woefully submerged by his experience of political power. But as this first dialogue unfolds, it is Saul's uncertainty that comes to the fore because at every step he has to be prodded and directed by his own servant. And could there be any more perfect illustration of how poorly suited he is to be king <laughs> than the fact that he literally needs to be directed and prodded and told every damn thing. So uh, the servant then says, look, pray, there is a man of God in this town and the man is esteemed. Whatever he says will surely come to pass. Now then, let us go there. Perhaps he will tell us of our way on which we have gone. Uh, and there is a long note here. I have been using Anchor's uh, limit of half an hour as a way of, you know, pacing myself, keeping this, you know, rolling. But I don't want to rush it. So I think I'm going to split chapter nine into two parts, uh, or possibly there's this thing to add audio. I'm going to play with that. Maybe I can just patch them together. But let's do this aside here, uh, which I'm going to read in full uh, or fullish. And along with uh, Alter, uh, he is also talking about uh, part of Robert Polzin's uh, argument on uh, this. So uh, line six about the man of God in this town. The fact that neither Saul nor his servant seems to have heard of Samuel by name and the town, too, is left unnamed, has led many scholars to conclude that this story comes from a different source. But as Robert Polson has vigorously argued, the palpable shift uh, between chapter 8 and chapter 9 may rather reflect, quote, the varying play of perspectives between narrator and reader, between reader and character, and between character and character that forms the stuff of sophisticated narrative. And if you have not got it yet, the Samuel saga is an incredibly sophisticated narrative. Uh, Saul's entire story until the night before, spoiler alert, his death on the battlefields, uh, is a story about the futile quest for knowledge of an inveterately ignorant man. 
it's uh, Samuel may have been presented before as the spiritual leader of all the tribes, but this particular Benjamite farm boy knows nothing of him. And Saul's servant, who presumably has also spent all his time on the farm, has picked up merely a local rumor of his activity, but not his name. From the rural popular perspective of both, and in keeping with the themes of knowledge and prediction of this story, Samuel is not a judge and political leader, but a man of God and a seer. Uh, We'll get to verse 9. Uh, who can predict the future. And the Hebrew verb uh, saying, uh, he'll tell us which way we're going. This will be easier if you can follow along in the text uh, that we're at uh, line six of the chapter, uh, the Hebrew verb clearly indicates some sort of past action and not, as one might expect, on which we should go. Perhaps they feel so lost that they need the seer to tell them where they have been heading. In the event, it is toward a kingdom, not toward lost asses. So, Saul says to his lad, But look, if we're going to go, what should we bring to the man? For the bread is gone from our kits, and there's no gift to bring to the man of God. What do we have? And the lad answered Saul once again, and he said, Look, I happen to have a quarter of a shekel of silver that I can give him, and he might tell us our way. In former times in Israel, thus would a man say when he went to inquire of God, Come, let us go to the seer. For the prophet today was called in former times the seer. And the note to nine right there. And you can pick up on this as well, uh, just from, uh, damn it, hang on, technical difficulty. Uh, oh, damn it. Um, Fuck it. I will get back to that. Uh, In former times in Israel, this terminological notice is... the fuck did this go? Excuse me. Um, No, no, no. I'll find it after... We're at the 15-minute mark. I'll find it after... Oh, there we go. Okay. Cool. (laughs) So, in former times in Israel, this terminological notice simultaneously alerts, not like a phone alert like that one right there, but it lets you know uh, that alerts the audience to the gap between the time of the story, the 11th century uh, BCE, and the audience's own time, at the very least, two or three generations later, and underscores the ambiguity of Samuel's transitional role as leader. He is variously called judge, man of God, seer, and prophet, and he also performs priestly functions. So, 
uh, he's what you would call a Gansamacher. Uh, uh, <laughs> so Saul said to his lad, hmm, what you say is good. Come, let us go. And they went on to the town in which the man of God was. They were just coming up the ascent to the town when they met some young women. Uh, and, you know, if there's a way to patch something together, I'm going to just see that now because there's been too much dicking around looking for that thing. All right. <laughs> if this transition is awkward, then it's another thing to learn about the fact that I don't know what I'm doing on podcasts yet. Uh, but before I get into uh, back into reading, uh, I'm going to just break down a bit of a complex thing that is about to happen when Saul and his servant run into uh, some women by a well in the town. And that's uh, hugely significant. It's uh, one of the actual satirical elements in uh, the Samuel saga. So as Alter has it, note on 11, the wells would typically uh, have been outside the walls of the city. They encounter between a young man in foreign territory with young women, Ne'arot, drawing water, seems to signal, seems to signal the beginning of a betrothal type scene. Compare Rebecca, Rachel, and Zipporah at their respective wells. But the betrothal scene is aborted. Instead of a betrothal feast, there will be a sacrificial feast that adumbrates a rite of coronation. The destiny of kingship to which Saul proceeds will lead to grimmer consequences than those that follow in the repeated story of a hero who finds his future bride at a well. And uh, that is some of this fascinating, uh, really riffing upon biblical tropes that were familiar to the writer of this book, who, if this uh, is new to you, uh, here's a little mind-blowing thought. The fact that the writer of the book of Samuel uh, would have actually been familiar with the Torah and other you know, books of Hebrew literature uh, in the form that we know them now, basically, uh, would already have been, uh, you know, as familiar as uh, a bunch of, you know, it doesn't need comparison. The Bible was something that uh, was known to them then, and the writer of this uh, was very familiar with that literature. So uh, one more note, 
on lines 12 to 13 before I dive into what the woman has to say, because she has a lot to say. And that's the start of uh, the note is that her reply is notable for its garrulousness. One Talmudic sage sought to explain this trait with a simple misogynistic formula, women are talkative. Not me, not Alter. You can look that up. That's Barakot 48b. <laughs> Whereas, more amusingly, the Midrash proposes that the young women kept repeating themselves because they were so smitten by Saul's beauty. The clues in the immediately preceding narrative context suggest a less fanciful explanation. Seeing the evident signs of confusion and incomprehension in Saul's face, the women take elaborate measures to spell out where Samuel is to be found and what Saul should do in order to be sure not to miss him. In all this, it is noteworthy, as Polson has observed, that Samuel, having agreed to find a king for Israel, see chapter 8, uh, has made no move whatever toward that purpose. Instead, the future king finds him. Uh, and the last part of that note isn't really uh, relevant for how I'm reading this. So uh, here we are at the well. Uh so they were just coming up the ascent to the town when they met some young women uh, going out to draw water. And they said to them, is there a seer hereabouts? And they answered them and said, there is. Look, he's straight ahead of you. Hurry now, for today has come to town, for the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you come into town, you'll find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat till he comes, as he will bless the sacrifice, and then the guests will eat. So go up, for today you'll find him. And they went up to the town. Very good directions. Pre-GPS, you know, you, you got to rely on people. <laughs> uh, and the common sense, which Saul abundantly lacks. <laughs> um... They were just coming into the town when Samuel came out toward them to go up to the high place. And the Lord had disclosed to Samuel the day before Saul's arrival, saying, At this time tomorrow I will send to you a man from the region of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him prince over my people Israel, and he shall deliver my people from the hands of the Philistines. For I have seen the plight of my people. Yes, their outcry has reached me. And Samuel saw Saul, and the Lord answered him, Here is that man of whom I said to you, This one will govern my people. And Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and said, Uh, um, sorry, tell me, uh, where is the house of the seer? And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, and you will eat with me today, and I shall send you off in the morning, and whatever is in your heart I shall tell you. Um, tell you. And as to the asses that have been lost to you, 
now three days, pay them no heed, for they have been found. And whose is all the treasure in Israel? Is it not for you and all your father's house? And that uh, phrasing, uh, firstly, I don't need to read the note fully, but uh, you can see that Samuel is in fact a seer. He uh, has knowledge that uh, he, you know, knows where uh, the lost animals are that Saul and folks have been looking for. Uh, But the phrasing, whose is all the treasure of Israel, this is a deliberately oblique reference to kingship. If all the choice possessions of Israel are to be yours, why worry about a few asses? Although the Hebrew term hemda can mean desire, it more often has the sense of desired or valued thing, as in the common idiom clay hemda, precious objects. So uh, Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite? from the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my clan is the least of all the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, And that is intertribal thing. So why have you spoken to me in this fashion? And Samuel took Saul and his lad and brought them into the hall, and he gave them a place at the head of the guests, about 30 men. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion that I gave to you, about which I said, set that aside. And the cook lifted up the thigh and put it before Saul. And Samuel said, here is what is left. Put it before you and eat, for it has been kept for you for the appointed time, as I said to the people I invited. And Saul ate with Samuel on that day. And they came down from the high place into the town, and they made a bed for Saul on the roof, and he slept. And as dawn was breaking, Samuel called out to Saul on the roof, saying, Arise, and I shall send you off. And Saul arose, and the two of them, he and Samuel, went outside. They were just going down past the edge of the town when Samuel uh, said to Saul, Tell the lad to pass on before us. And he passed on. As for you, stand now that I may let you hear the word of God. And that is the chapter. Uh, The text of there, uh, there's some stuff here that's really interesting. If you have the book, and I'm linking to Alter's commentary uh, in the description for the episode and all the episodes where I'm going to be referring to this. But there are some interesting notes on uh, different versions of this handwritten narrative where the grammar doesn't agree and words are missing sometimes. So uh, just one bit of that. It mentions that evidently a scribe substituted the common word Wayedabar, he spoke, for the more unusual word Wayyerbadu, they made a bed, 
the same consonants with the order reversed. Weyashkav, and he slept, differs from Weyashkimu, and they rose early by one consonant in the unvocalized text. Um, and lastly, uh, I could, I'll say it more briefly, uh, and then, uh, just read the, uh, the note because it elaborates on this wonderfully, but the whole time that this is happening, there isn't really an explanation given to the guests at this meal. It doesn't indicate that there is, he doesn't, you know, get up and say the boy here is going to be king. Uh, he just invites them in. He gives him the thigh of the sacrificial animal. Uh, and then at the end of the story, uh, he actually asks Saul to send his boy on ahead so that he has a private word with him. Uh, and chapter 10, we'll get into the words that are said. But uh, the note to 27 uh, for tell the lad to pass on before us has every step that Samuel takes here in conferring the kingship on Saul is clandestine. He speaks to him only after they have reached the outskirts of the town, and he is sure first to get Saul's servant out of earshot. This course of action is rather puzzling because the people, after all, have already publicly declared to the prophet that they want him to choose a king for them. Samuel's need to proceed in secrecy may reflect his persistent sense that the monarchy is the wrong path for the people, or it might be an expression of doubt as to whether this strapping young Benjamite is really the right man for the job, despite the unambiguous indication that the prophet has just received from God. And that is very well said. Uh, as I've said on one of these other podcasts, and will definitely be saying in others, Samuel has a pretty oppositional relationship to God. Uh, and he is not a blind follower by any stretch of the imagination or interpretation of the text. Uh, and also part of what makes this so interesting to read now and why I hope that it will be resonating for listeners of this as well is that Samuel is not convinced that a king is actually a good thing. And uh, in the story, we're going to see exactly that, that Saul is not suited to leadership and that it is dangerous to have one person who has uh, as much power as a king, because 
when you have someone who is uninformed, uh, making impulsive decisions that affect an entire nation, you actually put everyone in uh, great risk. And it does almost feel like uh, the commentary to be made there uh, could be structured around the time we're in. And I don't really have to say it, but the quarantine that we're in because of that malignant, ignorant jackass uh, who, you know, uh, would rather try to, you know, make everything seem fine, fine, everything's fine. Oh, yeah, you know, just endlessly, everything's fine and great, and it's going to blow over and whatever. And that isn't really as much of what Saul does, but in many ways, the things about Saul that exemplify bad leadership are qualities that are really timeless. So on that note, and with that in mind, I'm going to end this uh, fourth episode and hope that uh, some of you in your hotel room quarantines are following along with that book at your bedside or elsewhere uh, in whatever circumstances. I hope all of you are and stay safe and well and that uh, hopefully this will provide some entertainment. So peace out. Good Shabbos. Uh, happy weekend.